Not today here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with David Hoffeld, who is the CEO and chief sales trainer of the Hoffeld Group. Thanks for joining us, David. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. Good. Before we get started uh, talking to you, David, I wanted to tell our listeners about the next Business Leaders Workshop coming up on December 7th from 8 to 9.30 a.m. Uh, the title of that program is The Secret Roads to Achieving Your Goals 2017. Uh, this is going to be a great workshop. We're going to talk about the types of goals that you have, the relationships that you have psychologically between yourself and your goals. Uh, we're going to talk about the role of your personal belief system and uh, your goals. Are they smart goals? And we'll talk about what that means. And we'll talk about uh, what your big, hairy, audacious goal is for 2017. Another upcoming program, which is actually next week, is uh, December, November 22nd, uh, Why Have a System? If you've never attended a Sandler class or you'd like a quick review, that's a great class that runs on Tuesday the 22nd from 930 to 1130. Uh, you can call us here at 513-753-9400 on Monday to reserve a seat for that program. We still have a few open. Uh, David, let me tell the, our audience a little bit more about you. Uh, David pioneered a revolutionary sales based on neuroscience, social psychology, and behavioral economics that radically increases sales. David works with small and medium-sized businesses and Fortune 500 companies, showing them how to align their sales behaviors with how the brain naturally forms buying decisions. Because of the results his insights generate, David is a sales leader and contributes to Fast Company and has been featured in Fortune Magazine, uh, U.S. News and World Reports, The Wall Street Journal, uh, the uh, Harvard uh, Business Review, CBS Radio, Fox News Radio, and, uh, and more. Prior to forming the Hoffel Group, David was a top sales performer and award-winning uh, person for numerous organizations. He earned a master's degree and studied selling at Harvard University, Harvard Business School. I didn't realize that Harvard had a selling school, David. There were very few. Uh, David is a popular trainer whose entertaining present presentation style weaves humor stories and science together in a way that engages audiences and provides them with proven strategies they can use immediately. David is a member of the National Speakers Association, the American Society of Training Directors, and the Society of Personality Social Psychology. Wow, that's some resume. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited yeah, I'm to hear what I have to say after that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Uh, so, David, 
What actually inspired you to write this kind of book and, and do the research that required? Well, it was well, many years many, ago. I have been in sales for many years prior to that. I was a salesperson, sales manager, director of sales, VP of sales. And actually what happened was I got into an argument with a colleague designing a um, sales training class. for. I was VP of sales at the time for an organization, and we were designing a training class, and we were arguing over a rapport-building strategy, and I advocated it, and he didn't. And I said, no, you don't understand. This works. I've seen it work. I've used it. I've trained people for years. And he said, David, listen, I've tried to use that strategy. It does not work. I've trained others years ago, and they always told me that we had this back and forth, and we were both appealing to the same forms of evidence, basically our own experience and the experiences of others, and I was kind of at a standstill, and I walked away from that wondering, was I right? Am I really, how do I know that what I'm doing is helping me and serving my customer? And so it was at that time I stumbled on an academic journal in social psychology, literally defined as the scientific study of how human beings are influenced in a social setting. And one of the articles in the journal really struck me as something highly relevant for selling what I do every day. And so I applied it and I saw some results and that really just consumed my life. Um, and I began to embrace a very odd hobby of reading academic journals. And I began just to throw myself in and, and study this science. And I, the more I got into it, the more I realized how relevant it was in selling and I began to apply it. And the company I was media sales for went on to become one of the fastest growing companies in the United States. I mean, sales just took off. They were on the Inc. 5000 list. We were growing like 400% a year um, after being an established company for many years prior to that with very little growth. And so I saw this at work. And it was then in 2009 that I launched my own training firm. And we've, been, we've done thousands and thousands of hours of real research trying to help salespeople align how they sell with how the brain makes a buying decision. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's, there's been a lot written about that. And uh, inside of Sam, we've, we've had some talks about that. Uh, let me uh, start with a, a, a question or, or, or a disagreement or an agreement. Uh, when a salesperson starts a conversation over the telephone and says to the prospect, how are you? I've always felt that that's the wrong thing to say. From reading the yes. book, I got that you think it's the right thing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I used to think that as well. In fact, I think there's pretty much agreement in the sales community that it is the wrong thing to say. Many call it a throwaway question or it doesn't add anything. What changed my mind and was really the science. Uh, for example, there was a number of studies, one of the most well-known ones, and there has been many uh, in this area, was conducted by a social psychologist named Daniel Howard. And he went to a call center and he analyzed their compliance rates when they used their standard script and he found it was 18%. And then he had them make one shift. He had them ask that question at the beginning of the call. And he found that compliance rates almost doubled to 32. And there's been many other studies that have found that that simple question makes people far more likely to comply with a sales request. And there's a variety of reasons why that is. We get into in later chapters of the book. But when people tell you, and most people will, that they feel good, most, most common response to that question, not everyone, but over 90 will say, oh, I'm I'm doing fine. How are you? Or some variation of that. They're far more likely to comply with the request. And that was one of the things, to, to be frank, that I was surprised by as well. There's been many that science has proves our natural inclinations wrong. But because of these research, now we can say, instead of trying to guess our way to success, like I had done in the past, armed with this science, we can now improve anyone's sales performance by basing it on real data. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I guess you and I are going to, uh, my experience with 
what started with my mom. And uh, if I said that question to her, it triggered a, a automatic okay to tell me about every in pain in six months or however long we talked last. Uh, and uh, what I, I, and as, as a sales trainer and a sales manager, when, when someone says to me over the phone that I don't know, because I, I have a rule here, I take over, uh, how are you? The next thing I say is, this is a sales call. Mm, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I would, uh, when it's called, actually, so our, our listeners can look this up. It's called foot-in-the-mouth effect. Now, like I said, there's now pretty much a couple decades of research on this. So I, I guess what I, would, what I would push back with a little bit respectfully, and I understand your perspective and I appreciate it, but uh, what we do is we are one of base sales strategies on actual science because all of us have our inclinations, and you're right. I'm kind of in your camp. Um, I thought, well, I like to get right into it. I don't like wasting time with questions like that. Unfortunately, the research proved me wrong in, in this and many other areas. So what I found as I got deeper into the science was a lot of the things I was doing as a sales professional was spot on and it validated it. And it gave me a deeper understanding of how to adapt more and use it. But I also found that the, some of the things I was doing was wrong. I mean, I didn't agree with it, but the science stands alone. So I, I bow to that. So yeah, it's called foot in the mouth effect. And if any of our listeners want to Google that and research it on their own, they certainly can. One of the, my favorite studies in the area that we cite in the book is from Daniel Howard, which was done, I think, in the early 90s at a call center and um, pretty interesting research. So uh, if I think that uh, how are you is a weak opening question for bonding and rapport purposes, uh, what would a better question? What is a better way? Well, I think, well, I guess me and you, we might disagree on this because um, I think it's a good way to open a call based on the research. Again, there's quite a bit of it. I think, though, to your point, what I recommend is right after that, you want to introduce something of value. I think too much in sales, what we do, and we talk about this in the book, is we're too self-centered. Uh, we think people care about our company, our product, or service, and they don't. Reality is people care about their issues, their problems. And so I think, especially when we're cold calling and things like that, when you're going in cold, is you want to leverage a principle called reciprocity. And that is that respond um, in kind. So when you respond with value, people will often their time. So I say you want to interrupt people with value. Think of understand your potential customers enough where you understand what's important to them. What would really provide some value? How can I, instead of trying to get them interested in me, how can I give them something that's going to be of value to them and then they'll reciprocate by giving me their time and asking, answering some questions because I started with value. So I say that's one of the first things you interrupt with value. Give them something of value that they'll see and that can really speak to them and also displays what your product or service can potentially do and how it can help them solve some of their challenging issues. Can you give us a specific example of that? Sure. There, and there's many. For like me at my firm, um, what we'll do, and many of my clients will as well, is they'll interrupt them with value and give them like an insight of a white paper. Saying, you know, I was looking at looking around about your company, and I noticed you're kind of growing, and you're growing your sales team. I wanted to share with you a white paper that describes five science-based strategies for hiring. And the reason I want to give this to you is rather than tell you about how our sales training and consulting can can help you, I'd rather just show you so yourself. Where would you like me to send that white paper to them? Oh, okay. And now they're very likely, if I start asking them questions, almost always they're going to be, they, they reciprocate by giving me a little of their time. So I start with the value. So what I recommend is think about your potential clients. How can you give them something of value that's not costing a lot for you? What insight can them? You know, a lot of salespeople are really studying 
their potential customers. They're going on LinkedIn. They're going and looking at news feeds about the company. They're analyzing them, but they don't leverage those, those insights effectively. So how can I craft that insight in a way that's going to offer value to my potential customer? And then yeah. once I do that, I'm going to get an audience with much more receptive. So use reciprocity and people will reciprocate. You give them something of value. They'll give you their time and start answering questions and allow you to get deeper into the sales process. Uh, that's, a great, that's a great idea. That's a, a good move. Uh, David has agreed to take questions from the audience. Our call-in number is, as always, 646-595-4916. We'll be able to uh, screen the questions during the uh, commercial breaks. And, uh, David, we have time here for just one more question, uh, and maybe we uh, continue after the break. But uh, from your research, how does the human brain instruct buying? Mm, that's such an important question. And what the research shows is that sometimes in sales we get this wrong, at least historically. What the research shows is that there are certain commitments that our brains must make for us to say yes at the end of the sale. Too often, as a profession, we view um, the end of the sale, the close, is when we ask for commitment, the big commitment at the end. We say, well, no. What the research conclusively shows, and this is decades, literally thousands of studies have all come to the same conclusion. The best way to get someone to make a big decision, like a positive buying this in your product or service, is to first guide them in making certain small incremental commitments that guide them on a progression of consent and naturally advance the sale. And these commitments are literally the building blocks of the sale and the exciting news, Mike, is we know what they are. Through many, many years, we were able to identify what the commitments are. And once you align how you sell with obtaining them, it is a game changer. I have never had it yet where sales did not radically, because salespeople were literally aligning how they sell with how the brain constructs a buying, making it far easier for their potential customers saying yes to them at the end of the sale. Good. And we're going to be uh, back after this, uh, these co short commercial breaks. Uh, again, the call-in number if you want to talk to David and ask a question is 646-595-4916. This is Mike Roth, Sandler Training by Strategic Sales Experts. We're the only Sandler organization that can increase your sales and decrease your taxes. I want to talk to you about the December Business Leaders Workshop entitled The Secrets of Goal Setting for 2017. This will be a fantastic program for both company owners and salespeople to learn how to set the kind of goals that will drive you to success in 2017. We'll talk about the relationship between your own personal goals and your own belief system. We'll talk about how smart your goals are. We'll talk about what type of goals to have. We'll even talk about some secret topics. If you want 2017 to be your best year ever. Come to the Business Leaders Workshop on Wednesday, December 7th from 8 to 9.30. It's going to be at 3161 Dixie Highway, Suite E in Erlanger, Kentucky. You can RSVP to me, Mike Roth, mike.roth at sandler.com, or you can call the office during the business day, 513-753-9400. Good selling. This message is short and to the point. In business, you don't get paid for what you know. You get paid to sell. Yet many salespeople leave their skills to chance. They often think, let me think it over. They write proposals that go nowhere. They lower their price to get the order. They wind up chasing prospects through the voicemail maze. It doesn't have to be that way. The best salespeople were not born great. They learned it. I'm Mike Roth of Roth & Associates. 
We're famous for our expensive, difficult sales training. We're not for everyone. We build the best sales prospectors and sales negotiators on the planet. Are you in sales? Are you ready to get deadly serious about your career that feeds your family? Are you ready to make a change? Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523. Sandler's most experienced trainer in Cincinnati, 646-6523. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with David Hoffeld. David, why don't you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you after the show? You can go to my website, huffeldgroup.com. That's H-O-F-F-E-L-D group.com. All kind of ways to get a contact with us, as well as a lot of resources, new articles, blogs, white papers, videos, learn about science-based selling. And then, of course, connect with me also on Twitter, at David Huffeld, 102,000 followers we have. So we would love to connect with you there as well. Good. And they can pick up copies of the book on Amazon? Absolutely, yes. And that just came out on Tuesday. It's flying off the shelves. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, any bookstore uh, will have The Science of Selling, my brand new book. Good. Uh, before the break, we started to talk about how the brain uh, constructs a decision to buy. Can you break it down into a, a few steps that uh, our audience members can understand? Absolutely. Yeah, what we did, this was about six years of research on this one question on my and my team's part. We looked at the science that describes how the brain makes a decision like we talked about a few moments ago. And we said, okay, what are the specific commitments? And we tested the thousands. And here's what we found. We found that there were six specific commitments that our brains have to make. And if they don't make even one of them, the buying process breaks down and the buying decision always results in a no. So what are those things? I'll run through them real quickly with you. They're in the book, how to obtain them, and also how do you ask. But real quickly, the six commitments, we call them the six whys. There's six questions we frame them as that begin with the word why. The first one is the foundational one in any sale. Why change? Why should someone do something versus nothing? Research shows this is our most formidable competitor because all of us have lost more business and nothing then the someone. And so how do we do that? How do we break through what we call a status quo bias? Because our brain assigns a high level of risk to making a change because we could be wrong. How do we deal with that? That's the first foundational commitment we must get early in this. Then mm-hmm. we talk about why now. Why should someone move forward now versus waiting a month, two months, a year? Why should they do it now? Third, we want to look at why you're in this solution. This one is what I call a silent sales assassin because often we don't see it coming. Things outside of our industry, we always think competitors as those just like us who are offering a similar product or service, but oftentimes we lose business to things totally outside. So think, can your potential customer avert your entire industry and create their own solution? So if mm-hmm. they can, we want to address that head on. Fourth, why you and your company? Why should they choose you? Why should they choose your company? There's so much fascinating research in this area that shows us exactly how to get into that one. And then fifth, why your product or service? In other words, how do you build enough values? People say, I want your product or your service, and that's it. I want only that one. We'll show you how to do that in the book. And then last but definitely not least, why spend the money? What this means is 
oftentimes, let's say, for example, I'm selling a uh, CRM system, a software platform, and mm-hmm. I have a client and they say, we want it, David, from you, we want your company, we want this platform, but sometimes there's a but, right? They say, listen, we only have enough funds to either buy your software system or update our machinery in our factory. We can only do one this year. Now I'm competing against them updating their machinery. Why should they spend the money on my platform versus that? Again, there's some powerful science that reveals how to get that commitment, but that is a very important commitment. And those six comprise how the brain makes a buying decision and the most accurate description of it. And if you can get those six commitments, the close is relatively straightforward and easy. If you fail at even one of them or your buyer refuses to make a commitment, they will not purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, uh, why now is a, uh, is a critical question, especially at this time of year before the holidays. I can't tell you how many thousands of salespeople are going to hear the prospects say, uh, why don't you call me after the holidays or we'll, we'll deal with this next year. What do you suggest that they should say to, to that prospect's objection or stall? Yeah, the number one, there's a one reason why this one is so hard. And there's a lot of strategies we deploy to create urgency. There's many. You can offer incentives. You can leverage fear of loss. There's all kinds of things we talk about in the book. But I'll tell you the one of the number one reasons why this why is so challenging. And it's a scientific principle called reactance. What it is, and most salespeople aren't aware of this, that it even exists, but reactance is the feelings of psychological arousal that occur when a person feels their ability to freely choose is being restricted by another. Now, what does that mean in English? It means that people feel pressured to act because when we create urgency, oftentimes we stimulate reactive and people feel that we as salespeople are pressuring them. And so what do we do? Because this matters a lot. There are quite a bit of research shows when people feel reactive, they instinctively push back and resist our persuasive requests. And this is why, for example, when you walk past a sign that says, don't touch, wet paint, Mike, what do you want to do when you see a sign like Oh, touch it. You want to touch it? Right. Everyone says the same thing. I want to touch the wet paint. Why? So that, Why did and that sign... reminds me of uh, many years ago when I first started Sandler, uh, when I asked, what my, I asked my coach, what should I put on my trade show booth? And we came up with a big headline at the top of the booth, don't stop here. Excellent. Hundreds of people stopped. That's great. <laughs> Why should yeah. you stop? That's beautiful. When you were leveraging reactants in your favor there, and it was entertaining as well, that's beautiful. That's, and that's the thing about reactants. Why would a sign that tells us not to do something, like don't touch wet paint, call do it? Because we don't like when people tell us not to do something. We say, oh, really? And then we want to do it. So reactants kills persuasive messages. And this happens all the time. And here's what you, there's fascinating research on how do you reduce reactants because it's a, it's a nasty killer of sales. Here's what you need to do. You need to let people know that it's their choice because good choice or not, all of us want it to be our own. We want to feel that we're not being pressured. So what do you do? When after you make your request to try to nudge you something now, you create your, your request for urgency, let them know that it's up to them. You can use phrases like, of course, it's up to you. Now, oftentimes salespeople say, wait a minute, aren't we letting them off the hook? No. Urgency is one thing, reactance is another. I want my request, my incentive, my motivating factor to be to push them to move now. Reactance does the opposite. So as I reduce reactance, it allows them to not look at me and react negatively to me pressuring them, but allows that incentive to shine. And every time we deploy this in organizations, sales always goes up. Sales cycles, clean up, compliance skyrockets. We have to reduce reactance when we're asking people to move forward now. Because if you don't, oftentimes it'll be enabled and people won't 
react to your request. They'll react to you, and they'll say, I don't like when people get pushed me or get pressured, and they instinctively push back. We have to reduce that perception and let your request shine and you get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sandler, uh, who cl- clearly created a psychologically based system, uh, he would say, go for a no. And so that was it, it, talking to a prospect that would sound like, well, this probably isn't for you. Yeah, that's a version of it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And like I said, there's a lot of, you know, as you get into the science, a lot of things you'll find that you're doing, you know, right. All salespeople, oh, I've been doing that for years, David. Yeah. And now they understand why and they can adapt it more. So it's, it's fascinating, too. Sometimes you learn, man, I've been doing this right for so long. Sometimes you learn, well, I need to work in some areas or here or here. So it's kind of a, it's got a fun journey in that regard. You're always learning. Yeah, always learning. Uh, if anyone wants to learn by calling in, the number is 646-595-4916. David, let's take uh, one other question. Uh, how can you uh, take your ability to communicate with prospects in compelling fashion to a new all-time high? That's a very important question because so much of selling is communication. It really does shape perception. There's so many things we talk about in the book that will, that will help with that. And um, communicating effectively, communicating confidently. Let me give you one that's in the book. You know what? And I'll give your, our listeners one that's not, that didn't make it in the book, but I think it's important. That's real simple. Uh, one that's in the book that I'll share is by limiting information. We want to be careful, especially choices, how many choices present to people. Uh, there's compelling research that shows people need a few choices to choose from, but oftentimes we overload people with choices. I remember one salesperson I was working with that would show potential customers, literally over a hundred product options and ask them to choose one. And that's, it's hard for our brains to that. We get, we get dazed and confused. We have a hard time making a confident choice. For example, one study found that when 24 options customers to choose from only 3% purchase, but when only six options were given, buying behavior went up by 900%. So limit options. Understand your buyers well enough that you can present only a few options to them and allow them to choose from a few, which is much easier for our brains to do. The second thing I'll share with you that's not in the book, but I think it's an important one that I use all the time, and that is gestures. People say, well, that sounds simple, gesture. Oftentimes when we get nervous, present, we, we don't gesture like we normally do. You want to force yourself to gesture. Why? Some interesting research out of the University of Chicago by Dr. David McNeil that found that gesturing stimulates Thought. In fact, it activates your brain and makes it more, you're more able to think creatively than you are if you don't gesture. So you want to allow your body to naturally gesture. And oftentimes, sometimes we get nervous and we don't do that. So allow yourself to gesture, even prompt natural gesture. It allows you to think clearly. It literally has a profound impact on your brain. Something very simple, but can make the difference between coming up with a quick response or not. Hmm, that's very interesting. Uh, we're going to take a uh, another short break here. We're going to listen to San Rule number fifteen. Hi, I'm Rich Isaac from Sandler Training, and I'm here to talk about Rule number fifteen: the best presentation you ever give on the prospect. Now let's start by talking about the fact that that rule should not be. Of course, there's an appropriate time to talk about your products, your service, your solutions, your prices. What happens is that most salespeople simply talk about it. The prospective client will say things to them like, show me what you have, tell me what you can do, 
and the salesperson, eager to show their credibility and to show their product knowledge, will go into presentation. And there's two problems. Number one, it's too early to make a presentation because the salesperson isn't knowledgeable enough about the particular situation the prospective client is facing. And second of all, it comes off like a sales pitch. And if there's one thing that prospective clients can't stand, is someone making a pitch at them trying to... Is there a better way? A better way to show your knowledge and build credibility with the prospective client? Actually, there are two ways. First, is you can learn to ask better questions, more insightful questions. And second, you can learn to tell stories, meaningful stories that the prospective client will be able to relate to. Let me give you an example. Let's assume that I sell software to help companies run their warehouses more effectively. I might say, Sam is the Vice President of Operations. I'm wondering if you ever run into this. A lot of people tell me that they have a real balancing act between reducing their inventory expense and still being able to handle just-in-time delivery. It's really challenging. Others tell me that they have a difficult time getting their staff to follow the procedures in their warehouse as exactly and effectively as they could. Now, before I go on, I'm wondering if you can relate to it. Now, what did I just accomplish? Through simply telling a story and asking a simple question, I was able to show my credibility, show my knowledge, show my understanding of their business. In essence, I presented information in such a way that they got those things without me coming off like a salesperson. Remember, if you want to really be the most credible professional salesperson, learn to tell better stories and ask better questions. Remember, if you get good at both of those things, the best presentation you ever give on the prospect. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, David Hoffield. Now, David, the rule we just listened to was uh, about the importance of telling stories in sales. Is, is there any scientific evidence that stories help? Absolutely. Yes, there's a wealth of it now. In fact, we talk about that in the book in one of the latter chapters, chapter nine, I believe. What we found is that the brain actually thinks in terms of stories and it processes stories differently, which is why every salesperson should be using stories. There's no doubt about that. The science is pretty conclusive there. So reason why is when we say statements of facts or make assertions or show data, our brains really analyze them and they look at them, scrutinize them. Stories don't undergo the same analytical analysis. This is why, for example, all of us can watch a, a story and we're emotional, yet we know that everything we're watching is fake. It's actors on a set, you know, memorizing a script, but we're still moved by it, right? Our brains interpret it differently. And stories are incredibly persuasive. Not only that, but they're remembered far more than facts. One study, for example, found that 72 hours after an event, people could remember, 63% could remember the stories, only 5% of the same people could remember statements of facts or data. So stories are sticky, highly persuasive. And what we've also found from research that looks at inside people's brains with what's called an fMRI machine that looks at brain activity while people are listening to stories is great stories. We see them in our minds. We relive them. We picture them in our minds. What's fascinating is when you have people hooked up to these brain imaging, people that are telling a story well and people that are listening to a story, their brains mirror one another. So what the presenter's brain, what shows up there, the parts of the brain that are simulated, just a split second later, the listener's brain go, undergoes the same things happening. So people are reliving stories. They're highly persuasive. And so we couldn't agree more on this point. If you're not using and you're in sales, you are doing yourself a major disservice. And when you tell stories well, and there's a lot we could say about this, 
It's highly effective, highly persuasive, and I promise you, stories will help you sell more, 100%. There is decades of... In fact, uh, about a month ago, we had a uh, another author on the show. He had written a, a book about how to use stories in selling. Uh, Sandler's always been strong on stories, and the reason that Sandler gives is that when you're telling a story, you're talking psychological from a transactional analysis basis to the child ego state, and that's the one that initiates the buy. And so stories are, are quite important. Um, let's, uh, for a couple of minutes, talk about a motivation for buying, uh, which Sandler calls pain. Uh, what, what are your uh, ideas about finding pain? It's critical. It's absolutely critical in a sales call. We talked about a few minutes ago, the six whys, the foundational one, why change as an example. This one can be tough. How do you get people to change? You've got to identify problems and then you've got to help people understand the scope of the problem and the consequences of an action. But what you also have to do is make those problems hurt. You have to ask questions. You have to guide them in understanding why those problems hurt so much they must change them. Because reality is, Everyone has problems. I have problems. Mike, you have problems. Our listeners have problems. And oftentimes those problems, we live with them. We don't change them. Content. They don't hurt enough. Once a problem starts hurting, now we make a change. So we have to guide people and not just recognizing they have a problem. We have to guide them in making that hurt. How can we do that? One practical way is leveraging what we call loss aversion or fear of loss. The reason this matters is there are quite a bit of reason this. In fact, one of my favorite researchers in this area uh, won a Nobel Prize for it, Daniel Kahneman in 2000, who's probably the greatest living psychologist or, or cognitive psychologist rather today, won a Nobel Prize for his work specifically in this area, in loss aversion. And they found that it is such a powerful motivator. In fact, what surprises many people is when you compare it to desire for gain, there's pretty compelling research that shows loss aversion is more powerful at a ratio of about two to one. So people are far more motivated when they're threatened with losing something than of gaining something of equal value and a ratio of two to one. So how do you so deal? How do you do this? Let me give you an example as, of one um, of gain. That? Is that fair? I'm sorry. You're saying that uh, the fear of loss is a pain that's twice as powerful as gain. Exactly. Yeah, there was some research published in uh, Cognitive Brain Research. It's, a, it's an academic journal for neuroscientists, and they studied that. How much more powerful is fear of loss over desire for gain? Two to one ratio they found. Let me give you a real life example. Uh, one telecommunication company, when people would call up to cancel, they would give them something. They would give them, I believe it was like 100 minutes free. And they would say, if you don't cancel, we'll give you 100 minutes. Okay. What they were able to do to significantly lower cancellation rates was change their approach. Don't give people things. Take it away. What they said, when people call up the cancel, they say, listen, we just put in 100 free minutes. If you cancel, you'll lose them. Oh, people don't like that. And more people would say, all right, all right, I won't cancel. Because of that, when they were, then when they were offered something of the same value. So one of the things we want to focus on when we sell, as salespeople, we're usually really good about telling people what they're going to get. We need to focus them even more so on what they're going to lose if they don't buy your product. Because often that's something we say it matters, but we usually don't pay attention to it and actually on a sales call often. So make sure you help people understand they'll lose if they don't move forward. What, what are they going to lose? And that'll make those problems hurt. It'll make them want to take action now and be far more receptive to your ideas, your product, your service, and your company. Mm -hmm. uh uh, I, I'm just going to quote something you wrote on page 74. 
127 different studies found that fear-based appeals are highly effective and predictable, significant way to his behavior. Absolutely. Yeah, um, that was a meta-analysis. Like I said, all, all these ideas we're talking about, we're not talking about one study or two studies or 10 studies. We're talking about decades of studies. We're talking about, in this area, someone won a Nobel Prize for this very research, Daniel Kahneman, in 2002. Our, our listeners can look it up if they like. And so, yeah, these are so well-established that there is no debate anymore whether fear or loss matters or whether it's one of the most potent motivator behavior. It is. The question now is, are we leveraging effectively? Mm-hmm. That makes uh, makes a lot of sense. I mean, I got to keep my fingers on the computer keyboard. Uh, again, uh, if anyone has any questions for David, the call the number six four six five nine five four nine one six. I wanted to uh, to touch David on the the famous uh, Hawthorne study, Western Electric. Why don't you uh, tell? our listeners, uh, what, what that study was. Yeah, that was an important study we cite in the book because it matters. In fact, it matters a great deal. Uh, at the Hawthorne plant, many years ago, they conducted some research. They wanted to see how they could increase worker productivity. And so what they did was they would bring workers into a test room and they would change all kind of working conditions. They would change the lighting. Did worker productivity increase? It did. They would say, great, well, let's give them longer breaks. You have worker productivity. It did. They would say, well, let's give them uh, a little more money. Would that increase productivity? It did. In fact, what alarmed them, though, was with every change they made, worker productivity. And they said, what in the world's going on? Because they would give them more coffee breaks, then less coffee breaks, more money, less money, brighter lights, dimmer lights. It didn't matter. Worker productivity always went up. And eventually they figured out why. It wasn't the changes they were making. It was the fact that they were putting people in the test room and they knew they were being watched. Because people knew they were being watched, they changed their behavior. They worked a little harder, as most of us do when our boss is standing right over us, right? We know we're being watched, so we worked a little more. And they called it the Hawthorne effect. And that matters a great deal. In fact, we can apply that a number of different ways in sales because when you call attention to a behavior, behaviors will often change and some really interesting ways we can apply that. But that's the Hawthorne effect, and it was yeah, fascinating study, and it really reveals some of the motivating factors that influence our behavior. Mm-hmm. I know I, that was one of the studies I, uh, I went through when I was in college many years ago. Uh, we took a look at that, and this, it was the amount of supervision uh, yes. in addition that, that caused these workers to increase productivity. And when supervision was uh, reduced, productivity levels went back down to where they were before the changes. Um, So we're going to take another commercial break here. uh, And uh, we're going to listen to a couple of uh, Sandler commercials. Uh, We'll be back in about two minutes. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Finding power and reinforcement is what it's all about. Today, I want to tell you about the ways that our clients have found to fix their companies and lives. Earn more money. I'm not for everyone. I'm expensive, tough, abrasive, and not politically correct. But if you want to have great financial results, we need to talk. Albert Einstein said insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I teach my clients new and different strategies, tactics, and behaviors that get dramatic results. If you're serious, dedicated to getting better, and want to earn more money by selling more to balance your budget, we need to talk. Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-753-9400, extension 102. Tell me your toughest business problems, then, if you qualify, I'll invite you in for a free meeting. 513-753-9400, extension 
102 on the web at rothconsulting.net. Why do some business owners make lots of money while others endure years of mediocrity? Is it really the economy, the market, the weather, the competition? No. These are all called excuses, which are always plentiful. Hi, I'm Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. As a business owner or part of a team, are you accepting excuses from your sales team because you make them yourself? Business winners succeed in spite of this trash. Business winners invest in themselves and their people. For over 15 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing your sales, call me at 513-646-6523. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. To find out how Sandler training can make you better, faster, and stronger, call 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with David Huffeld. David, let me take you a little bit out of the pure sales uh, arena and, and say, based on your sales research for our company owners uh, and managers that are listening, perhaps you can give them a leadership tip based on scientific principles. Absolutely. There's many, many that can give us an edge. One of them I'll share with you regarding hiring sales, which can also often be a challenge. How do you hire, reduce your risk when hiring someone? There's a number of things we share in the book in the last chapter that'll guide you in hiring the right salespeople. One of them that's very predictive of sales success and ease of management is what is called a growth mindset. You want to hire people that are what is called mindset. For those of you who want to get more into this in my book, we kind of give you actually a quiz, specific questions you can ask potential hires that'll help illuminate if they have it or not. What is a growth mindset? A growth mindset quite simply is the belief that our sales ability is like a muscle that must be continually developed. In contrast to that, some people have what's called a fixed mindset, which is the idea that you're either born a salesperson or not. And there's not much you can do to change that. An alarming amount of people that, and it's just not true. There's decades of research to disprove that, and most of us know that. But you want to hire people that have a growth mindset. Here's why. If you don't, they'll only move when you push them. And as soon as you stop pushing as a manager, they stop improving. And the reality is, in today's hyper-competitive marketplace, if you're not moving forward, you're falling behind. And so to upgrade our mindsets and our skills constantly as sales professionals, because, Mike, I'm sure you'll agree with me, there has never been a more competitive marketplace than there is right now, today. And we have to continually have that growth mindset that says, hey, I've got to always be hire salespeople with that belief system, and they're much easier to manage, and they're always trying to get better. Key predictor of sales success. If you don't hire those salespeople, you'll have to push them. You'll have to try to motivate them nonstop. And it's a never-ending and unnecessary ordeal. So hire the right people. Look for those growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a while here at Sandler, Dr. Paul Stoltz uh, wrote several books on something he called adversity quotient. Mm. And the thesis was people who overcame adversity faster and better would be better salespeople. Uh, it was a great idea. In fact, it holds a lot of water. I think it's pretty much the gospel. Uh, and he had some tests for what he called the, what is your quotient? For someone who's never been exposed to it, it was a great, but as soon as you read the book, you, you would score almost because as a salesperson, you knew what the answer was he was looking for. So, and that was built on look, the guy, who, the guy who wrote the book learned helpless from the Nobel prize. You know, the guy I'm talking about. I do. I can't think of his name, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It was based on uh, 
research with dogs that I don't want to bring up in the show. Uh, anyway, uh, can you give our, our, our sales leaders a, a couple of examples of questions they should ask sales candidates to allow them to pick out the A players, the top the top 15%. Absolutely. Yeah. So there, there's the growth mindset. There's other things you want to look for as well. So we want to look for someone. Another key factor the research finds is those who are intrinsically motivated. Now, what does that mean? It means they're motivated to perform from themselves. They don't need a manager to wave a carrot or hit them with a stick that they want to perform. And when they don't sell, they take it personally. When you want those people working for you. So how do you identify them? In the book, we give many, many questions. Uh, I'll give you a few here off the top of my head. Um, I would ask them, you know, what do you enjoy most about selling? What do you enjoy leading? You want someone that actually enjoys the process of selling. If someone's only doing it for the money, meaning they hate every second of it, they're just doing it for the money. And when they go home, they try to think about something else. I don't want them working for me. I don't know about you. Because that's not the person that's going to have that growth mindset. That's going to start thinking and strategizing and trying to improve, right? They're trying to get away. I want someone that's intrinsically motivated. The opposite is extrinsic motivation. That is the carrot. I have to constantly wave a carrot or hit them with the stick. Now, carrot and stick are have a place, no doubt about it. But if that's, your, that's the only reason they'll do anything, that's a problem. I want someone that's motivated to sell. Like for me, I love selling. When I sell and I don't get the sale, it bothers me. I don't like it. And I say, okay, what can I do differently next time, right? It's part of who I am. It's my ego drive, which also is a pretty predictor of success. A number of research studies shows when they take it personally. Another question you can ask is, uh, in your past sales, sales position, where did you rank in comparison to your colleague? You know, if they say, well, I was, I was in uh, the top 10%. Well, how come you weren't number one? Well, how did it make you feel when you, didn't, when you weren't number one? If they go, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I, was, I was good enough. I don't want them. I want someone that says, it drove me crazy. What did you do about it? I want to get them to demonstrate behaviors that show me. Don't ask them questions and expect them to tell you because everyone's going to lie in interviews, right? I want them to demonstrate. So if I say, well, I was kind of in the middle of the pack at my last sale. Okay, well, how did you, how did you try to get better? Did you try to get better? Yes. What did you do? Like, tell me. Well, I did a lot. Like what? I read books. Like what books, right? I'm not going to let anyone lie to me. I want demonstrations, right? So I'm looking for someone that's intrinsically motivated. This matters to them that they are a salesman. If they're not, go work for my competitors. Good luck. I'm looking for someone that's motivated. Need why? Because your salespeople are really the face of your business. And so if anyone you hire, you want to take that very seriously. It's your salespeople. So you really want to focus on that. And intrinsic motivation is just one of the many factors that really does influence and predict heightened levels. Of- mm-hmm. there's, there's a sales guru who suggests on every sales first interview that you should uh, tell the applicant that they're going to be required uh, for the next interview to bring a list of everyone they've worked for uh, since college and their mm-hmm. supervisor's name, their email address and phone number. And before they get hired, uh, you or someone at the company will call everyone on the list. What do you think that of that? Yeah, it's a way to keep people honest. Um, yeah, and with our transparent, you know, marketplace, you usually find people. That's fine. And I, I guess, yeah, what I'm looking for and the point of that exercise is you want to know what you're getting. You want to go into a hiring decision with your eyes wide open because oftentimes we get misled, we make poor hires, and we've all, if you've been in leadership for any amount of time, all of us can relate to that where you go, man, if I can go back in time, 
I wouldn't hire them. So what I challenge sales leaders to do is get them to demonstrate performance. So I don't tell them, uh, do you have a growth mindset? And they're all going to say yes, because they know I want them to say yes. Show me. Show me how you've done it in the past. Demonstrate it. How have you tried to better yourself? Someone tells me they have a growth mindset, but they can't cite a book, an article, a class, anything they've done in the last five years to better themselves at selling. Guess what I know? They don't have a growth mindset. No, because the behaviors don't lie. And if they can't tell you and answer specific questions about how they've done it and what they've learned in a specific instance, then I know they don't. So I'm all about demonstration. I'm not asking people yes or no questions. I'm saying show and tell, my friend. Show me. Don't tell me. I want to know. You show me what you And so that's what you want to do when you go into hiring decisions. And that's a great exercise. Uh, when you tell them you're going to call their past supervisors, uh, that, that'll definitely keep them honest because they'll, they know you're going to look them up. And so, what do, you, what do you think happens uh, when you tell them you're going to contact every one of their past supervisors? <laughs> I think uh, they probably get really nervous, and I bet some of them drop out, or at least they're probably a little more honest. With, uh, yeah, they drop out. I, drop out. Yeah. And, and most of the B players drop out. Yeah. The A players yep. say, that's a great idea. Uh, I've only had two bosses in the last 15 years. No problem. I'll give you their name. Uh, and then there's another, uh, we talk about hiring winners in sales. Uh, the, the other strategy is when you to find out how resilient uh, the salesperson is, is, is he or she a real fighter? When you have someone that you think is really good, you say, well, I'm not sure if you're cut out for this. Mm, and you yeah, wait to, to see, see how they respond. How they roll over. Uh, the ones that roll over, when the going gets tough in your business, they're going to roll over. Mm. The ones that fight, those are the ones that you want to take out the, the job offer out of your desk drawer and give it to them. Mm. Uh, I like that. That's a good idea because you're right. That has something researchers call grit, right? Perseverance. They don't take no easily. And that's what you want. You're spot on. You want salespeople that are hard to say no to, right? That's who you want selling for you. They're respectful. They're professional. But boy, they don't take no well and they don't take it easy. And so that's exactly what you want. I think that's a great exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to use the guy's name who, who gave me that, but it, 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 it seems to work re- real well when you put them both together with some mm. of the other techniques. Yeah. Um, in your book, you've provided a scenario or almost scripting for, for conversations with, uh, with buyers. Uh, why did you put that in? Yeah, as examples, um, I want to make it really easy for people to understand the science behind what we do, so the, the why, but also the how. It's got to be practical. It's got to be able to be working in the real world. So we gave many examples of what it could sound like on an actual sales call. So you can learn the science, understand the strategy, and then see it executed on the pages of the book. So you go, okay, I get it now. And then you can use it as soon as you put that book down. Because the one goal of the book is to show people how science can transform selling behaviors, how it can make you more effective. So I want I want to help people make that leap. And in the book, we do that. We want everything. It's not a bunch of theory. It's not just a bunch of scientific jargon. It's very practical, very easy to understand, and it will help make you more effective because that's what I'm all about, getting results in the real world. Uh, I'm not just about putting out scientific ideas. I want scientific ideas that are going to make me and you more money. And that's what the book does. So I'm going to suggest to our listeners that they, they read your book. Uh, because a lot of the book, uh, without ever using the, the name David Sandler, reinforces some of the, the theories and practices that uh, that Sandler uh, gave to us. Uh, David, I want to thank you for uh, being on the show. And uh, again, why don't you tell our listeners how they can contact you? 
Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Mike. And, our, and listeners, you can reach out to me at huffeldgroup.com, H-O-F-F-E-L-D, group.com. And, of course, the book, The Science of Selling, is available anywhere fine books are sold. Um, I'd strongly recommend picking up a copy or two and the great gifts for Christmas and the holidays coming up. And then also connect with me on Twitter or LinkedIn. It's at David Huffeld on Twitter. We also have a great YouTube channel as well where you see some science-backed sales videos, and you can learn more about the science of selling. Thanks again, David. Scott, why don't you take it away? Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth.com at rothconsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.